I'm Elle Campbell, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome once again to the Creative Sheet Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and what an honor it is to get to talk to the people that we do and share it with you. Uh, this whole podcast was kind of born out of the idea. You know, we, we have these conversations over coffee or lunch, uh, whatever the case may be, and it's really impactful for us and just wanted to find a way to share that with other people and uh, let, let them kind of sit in on the conversation. And uh, today is nothing short of an amazing conversation. I feel like I say that every time, but it's because I genuinely love doing this. I love these conversations. They're really good for uh, for me. And you didn't introduce me like you normally do, but I'll introduce myself. So My name sorry. is Roman, and I'm here as well. Uh, but yes, I'm very excited about the conversation we have today. Yes. Uh, today is episode 42, Roman. Okay. Episode okay. 42. Uh, and we have L. Campbell joining us on the show today. Sweetest gal in two shoes. Yeah. <laughs> She's super fun. Super fun. Um, and and man, has some really amazing things to say. Talking small groups, and we're not talking just like theory or uh, some grand idea. She has been a small group leader, is now a small group coach at uh, one of Andy Stanley's churches, and wow. uh, has done just a phenomenal job. The first, the first small group she had, she was with them for ten years. That is amazing. Amazing. Still in touch with them today. Her husband just did the the perform the wedding ceremony for one of the girls oh that was goodness. in her group. That is so awesome. Um, and they, she said there, there's a. She'll get into this, but there's a group text that they have that is active daily with these girls. Um, so Elle knows a thing or two about small groups, and she actually helped a guy you may have heard of. His name's Reggie Joiner. Write a book called Creating a Lead Small Culture. Um, Reggie wrote a book called Lead Small, which is written to small group leaders. And then this book, Creating a Lead Small Culture, is actually written to the people that put the systems in place for small groups um, and, and great ways to facilitate small group leaders and that kind of thing. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Yeah. And if, if maybe uh, you're, you work at a church or you maybe you started a church or you, you're your pastor of a church and you maybe haven't implemented small groups or um, maybe you're just thinking about implementing them and you don't know if they're worth doing. I will just say small groups are a big deal. They're a huge deal. Such a game changer. Um, it, I, I'm so excited to get into this conversation and talk about this because uh, it's something that's near to, to my heart. I am a small group leader of some teenagers and I've just seen the impact it can have on lives. Um, it's such a huge, such a huge thing for a church to, yep. to get a hold of. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Um, and so uh, before we get to today's interview, Roman, uh, today's show is brought to you by creativesheep.org. And if someone were to go to creativesheep.org, what might they find there? That's a great question, Jared, and I think I have an answer for you. Uh, we create premium media for the church. And you may, be, you may be asking yourself, what media? What the heck is that? Well, it's, uh, we do videos. Um, we do uh, series packs, illustrations. That's like illustrated uh, videos like that. Um, and, uh, and countdowns. We have a lot of things. We have a lot, a lot of, of things. things. So go check out creativesheep.org if you're needing, uh, maybe you're needing a creative element for your service. Uh, maybe you have a, there's a holiday coming up and you want a, um, a creative element for it. We got you covered. Head over to creativesheep.org. We do indeed. And Roman, I'm going to go ahead and tease something out. Creative Sheep is working on something brand new. Yeah, we are. Not going to tell you what it is. That's all we're going to give you. That's all we're going to give you. It's new. It is new. It's, some might call it the, the new hotness. Uh, we it would probably just you and me would call it maybe even just you would call it the new hotness, uh, folks. We're very excited about this new endeavor that Creative Sheep is working on right now. Um, uh, really, I will really ask a question: Is it robot related? 
It is not robot related. Artificial intelligence or not even a little like, bit. You might we could see if we could get Elon Musk. Maybe on like the something show. going to Mars, something like that. No, not even close. And okay. I feel like you're overhyping this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm starting to get some intrigue going. Like, in. I want to start a social media, like uh, like a viral social media thing. I think we're just going to reel it in, and that like it's totally church related, <laughs> totally church related. Very very excited about this though. We're going to have more to say about that in the months to come, uh, but you can be looking for that. So anyhow, folks, uh, I think we go ahead and get to today's conversation with L. Campbell. Well, L. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Jared, thanks for having me. This is so fun. I love what you're up to. I love all the stuff that Church on the Move has been up to. I just think you're really cool. So this is fun. <laughs> thanks so much. And back at you. Um, you you have been extremely busy uh, down through the years, and we're going to jump into some of that here in a little bit. But hey, why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little backstory? Like, how'd you get your start in ministry? How'd you get where you are today? What are you doing today? Why don't you just give us a if you can condense it to a nutshell version? Give us that. <laughs> Sure, sure. Okay, cool. So um, I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, uh, which is uh, the place um, in the planet that has the best pizza in the whole universe, just in case anybody wasn't sure about that. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. Um, So Buffalo is a great place. I got my start in ministry first as a volunteer small group leader. Uh, I started when I was 17, which is kind of like the earliest they let you be a small group leader. Um, So kind of jumped in with, uh, with both feet at 17. And it was a cool time to jump into ministry at my church because there was a lot of transition happening. Our church was growing really quickly, and we were trying to figure out like how to create some growth that was actually sustainable, um, especially in student ministry and children's ministry, um, as we grew to make sure that kids still felt connected. And so small groups really became like a big priority for us. So it was a cool time. I got to see kind of some of that transition happen. Um, did that for, I was actually a small group leader for, I think, 10 years um, at wow. that church. And I know with the same group of girls too, which was crazy. So I started with them when they were in fifth grade and was their small group leader basically up, up until the time um, that I moved away from Buffalo. Uh, so, um, but I know it was really fun, but it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and we can talk more about the details of that later if you want. Um, but I kind of got my start there and then eventually came on staff at my church full time. Um, at the time, I didn't really plan on going into ministry professionally. Um, for me, that really had a lot to do with the fact that I didn't see a lot of women in ministry, at least mm-hmm. in roles that I connected with. Um, so it wasn't really on my radar, but I kind of came into this role thinking it would be temporary and just fell in love with doing ministry. Um, and so I was on staff at my church for a total of, I think, seven years. Uh, first in family ministry, and then later specifically in middle school ministry. And in that role, I got to oversee all the small groups and all the small group leaders, the volunteer development. Uh, It was kind of a blast, loved it a ton. Uh, And actually didn't think that I would really ever leave. We were really happy. Um, My husband and I served together. And while we were there, we also started um, kind of a, a little organization on our own for youth ministry resources called Stuff You Can Use. And that kind of kind of took off. <clears throat> that kind of took off. We uh, got some pretty cool traction on it and led to some really fun opportunities that I was not expecting, um, including a connection with Orange down here in Atlanta, Georgia, um, run by a guy named Reggie Joyner. He's unbelievable. Um, I've loved his books for basically my entire ministry career. Yes. And just over time, 
I mean, that kind of that relationship just kind of blossomed. And it turned out that Orange um, wanted to do some more stuff with small groups and with middle school ministry. Um, and they asked me to be a part of it, which was so, so fun. Um, so I got to write a book with Reggie and then ultimately actually moved to Atlanta to join the team full time um, as their director of middle school strategy. So it's kind of the best. Like I get to do the things I love most, which is small groups and middle school. And I'm just loving life, man. It's great. That is so incredible. Um, and there's a lot that happened in that story um, that, that you just, I appreciate you giving us the nutshell version, but man, there's a lot that happened there. So uh, just- It's re- been crazy. Yeah, no doubt. So real quick, like you you, you glazed over it, the, the stuff you can use. Um, mm-hmm. why, first off, tell everybody yeah. where they can find that. And then like, just real quick, like what are they going to find there? Sure. So uh, it's at stuffyoucanuse.org. And um, it's really just a youth ministry resource hub that my husband and I created. Um, so we have some like resources you can download, but we also do a bi-weekly podcast called Youth Ministry Answers. Um, I also am working on a podcast that just has a few episodes right now, but it's kind of the podcast version of my blog, uh, which is all about youth ministry and leadership. Awesome. Uh, we do, um, yeah, it's been a fun little experiment. Um, we've done some video courses. We have something called digital devotionals. Um, they're kind of like social media devotionals for your students. Just kind of like we just add projects like left and right. So it is always changing, but hopefully the goal is really practical stuff that, you know, you can take and use. That's incredible. That's very, very cool. Um, and so in in your term there, I, I want to jump on to the, you said you were with the same group of girls um, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. from fifth grade on up. And in that time, it, I, I'm sure a lot of the principles that, that you learned and ended up writing about in the book with Reggie, um, I would imagine that group had a lot to do with that. And before we mm-hmm. jump into that content, are you still connected with those girls today? Oh, yeah, totally. So um, I live in Atlanta now, so we live kind of on the other side of the country. Um, but the first girl just got married last month. And so Kenny officiated her wedding and we went back to Buffalo for that. Um, we, we have a group text that is pretty much active just about every day. So wow. we're still very connected and very involved. Um, yeah, we love them. They're awesome. We actually, this is a little crazy. So now that they're like adults, they're, you know, college students, like 22, 23, um, we sometimes go on vacation with them oh my and gosh. Kenny and I are like the chaperones. <laughs> it's really, it's really funny. They keep us young. It's great. We love it. <laughs> that is so amazing. That's so amazing. It's and- pretty funny. Um, one of the reasons I really wanted to push in on that is just because, so the book we're going to be talking about today, the book that you helped Reggie write, it's called creating a lead small culture. And this is a book mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody who is leading, uh, small groups to go get. So Reggie obviously has done a lot, uh, with small groups and, and writing about ministry. He's got another book called, it's just a phase, which is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. and then another book called lead small and, Kind of the differentiator mm-hmm. for me is that I always tell people lead small is written to small group leaders, whereas creating a lead small mm-hmm. culture is written to uh, ministry leaders, people that are over ministries that are overseeing small groups um, or small group coaches, even not even necessarily staff, um, which is actually a role that you are in now today. You're a small group coach at a mm-hmm. church in Atlanta. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, so we're at a church called Brownsbridge Community Church. And, uh, yeah, I serve as a small group leader coach for the seventh grade, uh, female small group leaders. It's awesome. Love it a ton. So I get to just kind of pour into them and help them 
and just kind of help them navigate, especially those weird situations that you get into sometimes as a small group leader yes. uh, and encourage them. It's kind of the best ever. So with that, for somebody that's listening, maybe that doesn't know exactly the, the structure and what a small group coach is, and correct me if I'm wrong. So yeah. rather than having a group of students that you're you're pouring into, you're actually pouring into the small group leaders that are pouring into the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a role that doesn't exist at every church um, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense because of the size of your ministry. Sure. Uh, we happen to serve at a, at a church that's like pretty big. And so we have a ton of small group leaders, more than what the staff could re- could kind of feasibly pour into relationally. So the coach position is a volunteer position uh, that just helps expand the relational influence of the staff. Um, so the staff is still kind of handling most of the management side of small groups, but for us as coaches, we get to build relationships with small group leaders um, and kind of treat them like a small group. Um, so instead of us having a small group of kids, we have a small group of small group leaders that we get to invest in. Um, it's a really fun job and, you know, you get all the fun relational uh, aspects of it without having to be responsible for sending the weekly emails. So I kind of mm. love it. It's great. <laughs> Um, you know, just a couple quick tips for somebody, you know, that, that is, is considering implementing this position into their ministry. I know at Church on the Move, this was something that we, we have been striving to get implemented for some time now. Um, and it, it has been mm-hmm. implemented, but constantly tweaking to make it better and getting more people to, to fall into this role. Um, what's some advice that you would give to to someone looking to implement this position that maybe it hasn't existed before or in process mm-hmm. of getting getting it implemented? Yeah, so it can feel overwhelming to implement the coach role, I think. Um, and really, it's, it's similar to like launching small groups because it's the same kind of idea. Uh, it feels overwhelming because you're like, how do I find enough like volunteers to actually fulfill this role? Um, and so if whether you're like starting with coaches for the first time, or even if you're starting with small groups for the first time, um, I think some of the principles are the same. And I think one of them is you don't have to do it all at once. You can kind of start small. And so like in student world, I usually recommend starting at the youngest grade level in your ministry. So if you are middle school, then maybe start with your fifth or sixth grade, whatever that looks like for you. And just put coaches or small group leaders in that age group first. Uh, because then your brand new students, they don't know any different. They've mm-hmm. always had small groups or your small group leaders, they've always had a coach. Um, and then they can kind of grow into that. And that's a lot more manageable than trying to implement change across all grades because, you know, change is hard and sometimes, you know, you get pushed back. And so if you can start at those younger grades, um, that's just going to make the transition a little easier and make it feel a little bit more manageable. Um, so I'd say that. And then in terms of the coach role specifically, Uh, I typically recommend that you choose somebody for that role who's been a small group leader and who's been really good at it. Um, I know there's like some different opinions on this, but I feel like that is the most helpful because if they've been a student small group leader or a kid small group leader, um, then they can actually give really practical advice for those kind of awkward moments when a small group leader is trying to figure out how to navigate a specific, um, you know, issue that they're facing. So I like to do that is to choose somebody who is an amazing small group leader, but who is maybe ready for something different or something new. Um, and they usually make amazing coaches. That's really good stuff. That's really good stuff. So let's, <laughs> let's jump on into the book here. Uh, once again, creating a lead cool. small culture folks, you can pick this up pretty much anywhere books are sold, go on Amazon, real easy to find. Um, and, uh, you'll see L Campbell's name on the book. So 
<laughs> there's 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 like nine major principles that you guys talk about in this book. And I just kind of want to jump yeah. around and 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 hit on these and and have you talk about them. So let let's go here. Um sure. first off, one of the things that you say is to improve the structure. Improve the structure. Mm-hmm. What what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So uh when we were writing this book, one thing that I love just about how this book came to be is Um, that it's not just kind of the ideas that we pull out of our own heads. Um, We actually spent a lot of time with churches to do a really good job at doing small groups for kids and students. And so sort of our like research phase for this book looked like us asking churches, how do you make small groups awesome? And so uh, we kind of took all of their feedback and then just put them, tried to categorize them kind of in buckets. Mm. And one of the things that we saw was that, um, Every church who does small groups really well, they are constantly tweaking the structure of their uh, ministry. So that can include things like your staff, you know, like what positions you have, what you prioritize on your staff. Um, It could even be your budget and where you end up putting your money. Um, It could be your calendar of events and what kind of events you do throughout the year. Um, Really anything that has to do with sort of the, you know, kind of the boring, tedious stuff of ministry, but the stuff that's really, really important. Um, the, the actual backbone of these churches, um, had a lot to do with supporting small groups. So it wasn't just something that they talked about, but it was actually woven into the fabric of their actual ministry structure. That's really good. Uh, Frank Beeler was on episode 14 of the podcast and he was, he was talking about Mm -hmm. some of this. And I know he's closely connected with orange as well. Um, and, and he said something that while I was at church on the move, that was super, super helpful. And he said, they took a good hard look at elevation, uh, specifically when it came to kids at, when it comes to small groups, we say we're about small groups, but does, does our time and our, our money show that? And yeah, it made made us do some soul searching and we realized like we had just completed uh, what we saw is kind of like, we were really proud of a series that we had done. We'd put a lot into it. Um, the art was amazing. The, the room decor that we did was awesome. Uh, the music we had playing and, and, and I think this stuff is important to a certain extent, but the more we looked into it, we realized we had spent a good sum of money on room decor and, uh, really outfitting the room to, to fit the theme of the series. And it was incredible. And then we looked mm-hmm. at how much we had actually spent on small groups and it was, <laughs> it was shameful. It was shameful. And that, cause we were saying sure. that small groups are the most important thing we do, but we're not actually showing that with our resources. And so it was from that though, that it, it flipped the kind of flipped the script for us and, and put us on mm-hmm. this journey to really devoting um, time and money into our small groups. And, and I, I think a lot mm-hmm. of that has derived from this book. So I mean, just know as yeah. a as a church heading this direction, like it, this has been super helpful, um, and it can be oh, that's done. Awesome. Yeah, and so one question yeah. I want to ask you off of that, and I don't know if you're able to share this or not, but um, I loved what you said that you guys didn't just try to pull it out of your own brains, and even you, you were with this group <laughs> of girls for ten years. You were a small group leader for ten years, um, yeah. so I know you had a lot of good to add. <coughs> Pardon me, I know you had a lot of good to add to the book. But you guys still went to these churches, you said, that were doing groups really well. Um, mm-hmm. Are you able to throw out any of the names of the churches that were? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I've got the book in front of me. I'm just going to flip to it because we actually put um, those people's names in the book. Oh, because awesome. we felt like 
their contributions were so, so helpful. Um, and so we kind of refer to them as sort of like um, a mixture of our architects of the book who are, those are kind of some key leaders like Carrie Newhoff and Sue Miller, Kevin Ragsdale, Tom Shunis, Perry Scalzetti. Um, so those are kind of our core people. Um, those are people who have served at North Point, at Willow Creek. Um, Terry was from Ocean View Baptist. Uh, Carrie is at Connexus in Canada. So a really cool, like, diversity of um, different contexts there. And then we had, like, 20-something additional contributors um, who, they're all listed in, like, the front of the book, but um, just amazing leaders from preschool, elementary, middle school, and high school who just kind of contributed their best practices um, and just some really practical uh, kind of ways of how this can look in different environments because, you know, we're trying to put out principles for sure, but actually figuring out how those principles are transferable into your context can be hard. Uh, yep. So throughout the book, the kind of like little blurbs um, from some of these leaders and contributors of what this looked like for them in just some really practical ways. So it was really fun. We love that part. Yeah. I love that you guys include that in the book. Um, that That's phenomenal. It, I, I just love the principle behind that in that, it's the whole principle of standing on the shoulders of giants, finding the people that have gone before you and done it. Go find them. Like, I, I just mm-hmm. loved, yeah. I, I love that you guys are just that willing to say like, hey, it's, we don't even necessarily know it all, but we found the people that are doing it really well. And you can go talk to them too. Uh, I just think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, next, yeah, that was the goal. Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I didn't mean to cut you off there. If you had something else you wanted to throw in there, oh, no, by you're all good. means. No, go for it. Um, <laughs> So one of the other things I want to talk about, and this is probably one of the things I'm most passionate about, but uh, one of the sec- one of the chapters is dedicated to empowering the leader. Um, why yeah. is this so important? Yeah, this is my favorite section. So um, in each of these like big principles that we have, improve the structure, empower the leader, and then uh, create the experience, which I think we'll talk about in a second. Um, each of these three big ideas has sort of three habits underneath them. And um, Empower the Leader was kind of my favorite. So I was like, Reggie and Kristen, like, I want to champion this one because this is like my favorite. Um, So this is all about this idea that um, as a ministry leader, we do not have the capacity to actually pastor every kid or student in our church. Um, There is a ton of research that kind of looks at what the relational capacity of any person actually is meaning like how many people you can really have deep relationships with at any given time. And the information is a little scary because it's kind of around the neighborhood of eight people. And if you think about what that means to pastor somebody um, and you've got a church of, you know, even a hundred, you've already surpassed your relational capacity of how many of those people you can actually know and have meaningful relationships with. Um, And so if we're thinking about student ministry and children's ministry, Um, If we want to have deep relationships with students to the point where they feel known, where they feel connected, where they feel like they have a place to belong, then we as staff members cannot do it alone. And so this idea of empowering leaders is this idea of um, multiplying your relational capacity by having volunteers actually pastor kids and students. Um, And it can be a little scary. It can be a little painful to the ego of a staff person sometimes. Um, But I think what we see is that this kind of relational connection with kids and students is what keeps them actually engaged with church and owning their faith um, even beyond the time that they're in our ministries. Um, So it's really important. And I think if we don't do it well, then we're running a pretty big risk of losing those kids uh, after high school and when they're with us of not having a very authentic and deep kind of 
of faith formation. Man, that's so good. And I, like you said, that we're running the risk of losing them. Reggie talks about in his book, mm-hmm. It's Just a Phase, him and Kristen Ivey, um, that 70% of kids will walk away from the church, walk away from God, walk away from the yeah. faith when they, gradu- when they turn 18, when they graduate high school. But being connected to one adult outside of their parents cuts it in half. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. crazy. And like you said, our relational equity, it, we can only facilitate so much meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to kind of put this into some kind of scope and scale, the church you're, you're a small group coach at right now, um, do you know approximately, yeah. I, and I know you're part of a network of churches, or I'm not exactly sure how you guys, how you mm-hmm. quantify or qualify what it is that you actually are. Um, but yeah. like how many, how many kids come through the children's ministry at your church on a weekly basis? Do you know? That's, that's a great question. So, okay. So I'm at a North Point campus. North Point has six campuses in the Atlanta area. Um, overall we have, I know we've got over 40,000 adults who come on a week. Wow. Um, and then at my, that's kind of across all six campuses, which is ridiculous. Um, then in my campus, which is Brown's bridge, uh, I don't know the stats for everybody, but if I, I can just give you the middle school ones. Yeah. So middle school is sixth through eighth grade. Um, and on a weekly basis, we probably have 800 sixth through eighth graders. So it's pretty big. <laughs> There's no a lot of kids coming through there. Kidding. That, that is a ton of middle schoolers. And like you're saying, it's kind of absurd. Yeah. But it's amazing. And it's amazing how good of a job North Point has done at empowering leaders like yourself yeah. to yeah. where mm-hmm. they clearly know. And I know that Andy Stanley, who is the pastor of North Point, he is crazy passionate about middle school. Yeah. That's where he got mm-hmm. his start. And he even, yep. if I'm not mistaken, like regularly from the pulpit talks about why middle mm-hmm. school ministry is so important. Yeah. And he does. And he actually just came and did a training just for our middle school leaders, which was really cool. Cause wow. I mean, he's a, busy, a pretty busy dude. He's yeah. got a lot going on, but, um, probably twice a year, I believe he does a training just for our middle school leaders. That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it, 800, 800 students, it would be absolutely yeah. impossible for, uh, one middle school pastor, or like you said, you got six campuses. So I'm assuming there's a middle school pastor or somebody mm-hmm. that fulfills that kind of role right. in some form or fashion at each campus. Absolutely impossible mm-hmm. for them to to reach all of those kids. And so they've put yeah. in the structure with the coaches and the small group leaders to where they're pouring into a certain few who are pouring into a few who are pouring into a few who are pouring into a few, mm-hmm. all the way down to the kids where the small group leaders yeah. are pouring into a few. Phenomenal system. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal system. It's amazing. Um, and you know, I love the the principles, and these are the 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 principles that get talked about also in the lead small book. Um, but Mm -hmm. in empowering the leader, you guys give five things uh that a small group leader should do. And I'm I would love to know after we walk through these, um, I'd love to know would do you encourage these five things all the way down to the the kid level? Or does this mainly apply to middle school and high school? So if you don't mind giving us like the brief mm-hmm. synopsis of these five yeah. and then like, where did these start to apply? Mm-hmm. For sure. So, um, so actually what's cool about these principles is um, the same method that we use to create creating lead small culture. We also use to create these five principles. 
And so I don't know exactly because I wasn't on staff at that point how long this research went on for. I mean, it was probably two years, though, where they were bringing small group leaders into the offices, like actual small group leaders, on um, almost a weekly basis and just asking them the basic question of what do you do as a small group leader? Like, what is your job? Um, Because when you think about what it means to be a small group leader, it's kind of a weird job. Like, you're sort of a teacher, but not a teacher. You're like sort of a mentor, but not exactly. There's a lot of things that you're kind of, sort of, these mm-hmm. things. Um, and so the goal of Lead Small and these five principles was really to just create a job description for a small group leader that would work in any context and also in any age. So the small group leaders that we brought in were preschool, elementary, middle school, and high school small group leaders. Um, and we tried to really create these buckets that would be transferable um, to any church, any denomination, any age group. So that's kind of the big picture. Um, And so here's kind of what we came up with. Uh, The first one is simply be present. So as a small group leader, you've got to show up. And when you are present, what you do is you get to connect a kid's faith to a community. Uh, The second thing is as a small group leader, you have to create a safe place for students and kids. Um, And when you do, you get to clarify their faith as they grow. Number three is you've got to partner with parents, which I love. This is so, so important Um, because when you are thinking about um, your role as a small group leader, kind of as the link between the church and the family, then you actually get to nurture an everyday faith with the kids and students that you lead. Um, Number four is make it personal. And this is kind of all about your personal walk, uh, your personal life and choices, uh, because you inspire your faith, their faith by your example. And then the last one is, as a small group leader, you have to move them out. So take your kids and students and actually move them out, move them to what's next, and engage their faith in a bigger story. Um, And so there are kind of some sub-principles to kind of break down what this looks like in some practical ways. But um, basically, if you can do all five of these things with the kids or students that you lead, um, that will hopefully be what it means to be a small group leader. Man, that's phenomenal. Uh, These principles are so, so good. And once again, mm-hmm. I just love how I, I love how Orange operates, that they're a yeah. massive organization at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was yeah. at, this is, I, I've attended the Orange Conference in Atlanta. This is my second year having attended. And um, I, what was it this year? I think like seven or 8,000 ministry leaders yeah. were, were there in Atlanta <laughs> uh, for the conference. And it was, so nice. it was phenomenal. I mean, seriously, it was one of the best conferences I've ever been to. And, oh my gosh. Um, and I, I just think it can be so easy. And I know I'm kind of shifting gears here. We'll come back to the lead small, but I think it's mm-hmm. so amazing that an organization sure. of this size is so smart in the regard of we're going to bring people in that are doing this rather than just putting up mm-hmm. this front that we know everything. Um, <laughs> I just think that's so awesome. And man, that, that's got to be kudos to Reggie Joyner that, that, that must, that's mm-hmm. got to be who he is. Otherwise this organization wouldn't yeah. operate this way. And so yeah. I, I just think it's that's awesome. Amazing. I just think that's awesome. I agree. That's, and that's really one of the big reasons why we chose to, um, kind of go with orange. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't think we would ever leave our church. And a big reason for that was that our church and our pastor had that same mentality that you're talking about, wow. which for me seems so rare. Um, just this idea of collaborating and kind of seeing each other as like, hey, we're all experts and we all have a lot to learn from each other, yep. um, was just so refreshing because, 
I mean, in church world, you do see a lot of competition. You see a lot of suspicion, a lot of mistrust um, between uh, people of other um, maybe denominations or other churches. Um, if you're at a big church, sometimes you distrust the authority of small church leaders and vice versa. Yep. And it's just, it, it was really refreshing to see that not only in my church, um, a different perspective, but then also to find that same perspective at Orange. Um, so I just love it. It is such a great kind of spirit to be around. And I think you're right. It's rare and it is really, really awesome. That's so, so cool. Um, so one of the questions off of these five things, and I know this is kind of jumping over to the Lead Small mm-hmm. book, um, even though it's covered yeah. in the Creating the Lead Small Culture. One of the things would be present, and it, it, I think it probably expounds more on this in Lead Small, but it talks about showing up mm-hmm. and not just showing up on the weekend. Um, which yeah. that's, that's super important to be there every week because with the inconsistency of most kids' homes with broken families and, and all of that, I mean, normal mm-hmm. these days is showing up two, two times a month, maybe one time a month, and you're considered a regular church yeah. attender. Um, but showing up mm-hmm. outside of church, um, how does that apply? And this, this, I'm not trying to back you in a corner with this question, but how does that apply oh, no, with mm-hmm. kids' ministry? Um, just with safety mm-hmm. and 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 just the day and age yeah. that we live, how does that apply? Because I, I could not agree more with that for mm-hmm. middle school, middle school, yeah. and especially high school. Um, but when it comes mm-hmm. to kids, what do you recommend there? Yeah. So one of the things that we found, um, and we have a little diagram somewhere. I think it's in uh, improve the structure part of this book, where what we found was really all of these principles that we talk about. Um, you need a lot more structure when kids are younger. Mm. And as they start to get older, you need less of it. Um, if, if you imagine trying to have a super, like, really structured regiment for your high school small groups, then, you know, you're pr- it's probably going to backfire on you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you show up for a elementary age small group with not much of a plan, then that's going to backfire you, on you as well. Um, and so I think this is one of those... Um, areas where this is for sure true. Uh, I think as kids get older, they need more time outside of church with their small group leaders. Um, But when kids are younger, they need less of it because Mm. what we found is that kids are much more quick to trust an adult the younger they are. And so if you think about um, influencing an elementary age kid or a preschooler, they trust you just because you're a grown up. Um, but as they start to get older, you need to really cultivate that trust outside of church in middle school and high school. So I think the time outside of church, the personal time, um, becomes more of an issue as they get older and becomes more important. Uh, you can get away with doing that less in elementary school. Um, but there are still ways to show up for a kid without physically being present with them. Um, things like sending them postcards, um, giving them a phone call on their birthday. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do um, that kind of maintain that safety and those boundaries. Um, and that also include parents. So like if you know that a kid is having a dance recital um, or like a big game, then reaching out to their parents and being like, hey, can I come? Can I like help come and like support them? is a great way for you to not only partner with that parent of that child, but also to show up randomly for that child. Um, so I think it still applies, but the actual kind of um, implementation of it looks different at different age levels. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's really good. Um, some super practical tips, too, of still being able to show up. Love that, folks. I hope you're taking notes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on here. So you, you alluded to this just a second ago, creating the experience. What does that mean? Yeah. 
So uh, the other thing that we found uh, when we were doing all this research is that churches who make small groups a priority actually prioritize the small group experience. So they don't just kind of throw together a couple of small group questions and hope for the best, uh, but they actually put a lot of time and thought into their physical space and into the way that they um, kind of cultivate their small group leaders in a way that they feel prepared when they show up. Um, that they have all the resources they need to lead a conversation um, and to really do that well. So a few things we talk about is, um, I mean, you've got to think about your physical space, not that you need to have like the most glamorous, unbelievable uh, kind of environment in the world, because as you've already said, you know, that's cool and that's awesome, but that doesn't necessarily uh, create quality relationships. Um, but there are some things that you should probably think about that could make your physical space a little bit more conducive to small groups. Um, for example, like for us in our current church, uh, we the, the space that we meet in, and again, this is a North Point campus that prioritizes small groups like for sure, but like any church, we have space issues. And so yeah. our current issue is we have sort of this huge group or this huge room where our small groups meet. And in that environment, it's just, it's kind of loud. It's kind of echoey. Like there's not, it's difficult sometimes to have a, a good small group conversation. And so one thing that our church did to help solve that problem was they built a uh, kind of movable walls on wheels. And mm -hmm. so when small group time happens, there's a team that rolls out all these walls just to create some like more secluded spaces for small groups. Um, so that's just like one example, but it's just this idea that uh, your physical space can help or hurt small group conversations and thinking through what you can do to actually do that better. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but the other thing I think really has to do with your actual curriculum and the way that you equip small group leaders to have conversations. Um, I could talk about this one for probably 17 hours. I'm not going to because I don't think people want to listen to a 17 hour podcast. Um, but this is probably the piece that I am really passionate about um, as a small, as a um, ministry leader who oversaw small groups Probably I spent a long time every single week uh, really tweaking small group questions that came with our curriculum because it's hard to get good small group questions. Um, and I feel very strongly about having the right questions, um, especially for students, questions that don't summarize the talk, but personalize the talk for students, I think is huge. Um, and it's just hard to find stuff like that. So anyway, thinking through your physical space and then also thinking about your curriculum is really what we're talking about in this principle. That's really, really good. Um, one thing, and this this probably is going to encompass the, because you're, you're talking about equipping uh, the leaders again here, making sure that the the small group questions are really good, not just throwing something together. Um, yeah. and, and so maybe this is a tie between the two, but like super practically speaking, and I know you already kind of even alluded to this, like Andy Stanley comes in, he does it maybe once or twice a year where he'll, he will come in and train uh, the the middle school ministry like super practically speaking, because this is a question I've had as a ministry leader is like, how much is too much? How how much should we bring yeah. them in to train them? What can we do to get stuff to them? Um, mm -hmm. um, so like, like just practically, yeah. what's what have you seen that works really well as far as creating the experience when it comes to your volunteers? Because they are, they're your small group leaders. So mm -hmm. when it comes to small groups, totally. that's where the majority of your effort needs to go. And, mm -hmm. it, but, but at the same time, realizing like you, I mean, you've got another job, um, and, and all of that and being <laughs> right. respectful of their time. So what have you seen that works really well? Yeah, totally. So, um, 
there, as far as I can tell, there's not a one size fits all formula for this, Mm -hmm. but the guideline that I typically like to encourage people to think about is, um, to think about your, the way that you train your small group leaders and really all volunteers. Um, first of all, think about what you do annually. Um, so in my church, every year we did a retreat for our small group leaders in the very beginning of the year. Mm. Uh, and then we also did like a mid year, uh, kind of, it was like a Saturday morning kind of thing. Um, so it was a special thing for them, but it was sort of like the mid-year kind of, you know, revamp. So those are our, our annual pieces. Uh, the next thing you need to think about is seasonally and the things that you're doing, um, you know, maybe like quarterly or maybe based on, uh, you know, like if you have a big event coming up or something like that. Um, and so if you think about seasonally, like maybe there are just some like sort of cornerstone things that you do in your ministry. Um, for us, Every fall, we did a, a small group leader and parent breakfast just to get small group leaders and parents connecting face to face, which was huge for us. That actually like created this tremendous culture shift for us when we did it. Um, but so that we did that every year. And so that was kind of a seasonal thing that we wanted to train our small group leaders on before the event happened. Uh, the next thing you got to think about is what you're doing monthly. And so the cool thing about these principles that we just talked about in Lead Small is what I did as a church leader is I actually chose one of those principles every month to sort of um, use to guide my communication with my small group leaders. Mm. So if there was a month that I wanted to focus on being present, then that shaped the things that I posted on social media. Um, It shaped the things that I sent to them in their emails. It shaped any resources or like fun videos that I sent them. Um, And if we did like an in-person meeting, it would shape that content as well. So think about monthly. And then lastly, think about how you train them weekly. Mm. And um, for me, that was not a weekly meeting because that would be crazy. I could not pull that off. Um, But but for me, that was a weekly email uh, that I sent to all of my small group leaders. Um, And it was also every week I tried to have coffee with at least one of them to get a face-to-face kind of interaction. Um, And so for us, uh, we ended up doing in-person meetings, like in-person training time, um, maybe quarterly, I think is kind of how that ended up uh, looking for us. Um, We also kind of uh, interspersed in there what we called coffee talks, which are kind of like, sort of like focus groups. And so we would do these focus groups with just a handful of small group leaders at a time. uh, And we would really focus on one of those lead small principles. So um, if the principal was partnering with parents, we would be like, hey, guys, um, for those of you here, what are some ways that you have partnered with parents that has worked really, really well and let them share their wins, let them share their struggles. And the cool thing about those focus groups was that we as a staff were not preparing any training whatsoever. Uh, we were really just posing questions and letting our small group leaders train each other, uh, which was amazing. It it worked so well. We loved it. Those are some, some of my favorite training environments. Um, so we kind of tried this in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think having a bunch of different options for the way that you train your leaders is helpful because certain types of training connect better with certain types of leaders and having a diversity, uh, in the way that you, um, send them information, the way that you train them, the way that you encourage them, uh, I think it's helpful to get everybody on the same page. Once again, you're, you're hitting me with, uh, letting, letting small group leaders train each other. Um, and not really having to prepare. I, I just, I love that. I love the principle of mm-hmm. we don't know everything. You guys do yeah. know some stuff. Let's just get you <laughs> together. Um, and I mean, there's a, right. there's a time and a place for the other as well. And I, I don't want to make any mistake totally. about that, but I just love that that thread has continued to run through this conversation and that that's been a part mm-hmm. of uh, a lot of what you've done. I think that's phenomenal. 
let's let's jump. Yeah, on it's one- huge. It's been huge for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. let, let's jump on one more of these principles, and then I want to shift gears a little bit cool. uh, before we have to wrap Great. up. Um, this is one I think uh, I had a call with several churches yesterday, and um, I think this this principle I've realized is something that was kind of uh, prevalent in the church, but is um, doing a big show for your kids' ministry. Yeah. Um, that it's a big production. It's all about the stage. It's what happens on the stage. That's what's the most important. And you know, that, that may have been what was, uh, worthwhile. I I don't even know. It may have been effective for a time, but I love that one Mm -hmm. of the principles in here is do more than a concert. Why is this Mm -hmm. such a big deal? Yeah. So um, there's kind of, uh, that that for sure is a huge uh, model that has had a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's been a focus of ministry in children's ministry for sure, but also in student ministry, just in different ways. Um, so that's kind of one model is getting, you know, putting all of your energy and focus on the stage. Maybe that's an amazing worship band. Yeah. It's like the best communicator in the world. Um, in kids ministry, it's an amazing production. And for sure, there's value in all of those things. Um, but then there's kind of this other model that focuses on biblical education. So maybe like Sunday school-ish, that kind of vibe where you have teachers and you have like, you know, workbooks and they have to memorize a lot of stuff and like check things off a list. And so there's kind of like this concert model and then there's sort of this class model. And those are the models that seem to have dominated children's and youth ministry over the last few decades. Um, But yeah, what we're seeing is that, you know, as kids continue to drop off the map, um, of church after high school, I think we're seeing that these models are falling short in some ways. And um, you look at like the research that Fuller Youth Institute has done, um, that there's a ton of research out there right now that just shows, um, particularly this generation, they're looking for relationships. Um, they're not looking for shows. They're not looking for education. Um, we can give them both of those things, but if we're not prioritizing relationships, then those shows that we put on and the type of education that we give them are not going to complete the whole picture of what they need to stay connected uh, to church. And, um, you know, we talk about in the book how uh, you can put on an awesome show, but ultimately your students and your kids are ultimately going to compare what your church does with what they can experience in culture. You know, what they see on TV, what they see at the concerts, the actual concerts that they go to. And, kind of our options as a church is either to acknowledge, hey, we're never going to be that awesome, um, or to try really hard to be that awesome. And, you know, for most churches, the second option is really not possible. They don't have the money, they don't have the talent, they don't have the time for that. Um, And so I think when we talk about relationships, when we talk about small groups, um, it's something that every church can do. And it's something that culture cannot give a kid. Um, And so that's something that we can do as a church to create the sense of belonging that they can't find other places. Man, that's so good. And I would even contest that 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 uh, what you're throwing out there, that's just been prevalent throughout the church, not just in student or kids ministry. This is something that's mm-hmm. been prevalent in the church as the idea of the show is what trumps. And and like you said, I love what you said is that the relationship is something that culture can't give them. That's so yeah. good. Um and <laughs> And and like you said, they're comparing what you're doing at your church to what's happening in culture anyhow. Um, and now with that handy-dandy yeah. little device that they carry around in their pocket, 
I mean, they're comparing you to all of that. And so why right. Why even try to compete with that and just give them what they need, which is a relationship with their Heavenly Father mm-hmm. and a relationship with someone yeah. else. A place, to, mm-hmm. and they, we say this at 180, our youth ministry all the time, a place to know and be known. Um, it's, mm-hmm. It is such a big so deal. L, that was that is so, so good. So I want to um, I, I want to shift gears here just real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. You and your husband created a game, um, <laughs> and and I want you to talk about it a little bit. And I wanted to, I want you to talk about. I'm I am fascinated by how you were able to actually make the game. So I, if you <laughs> okay. would give us give us the give us the uh, kind of the nutshell version of of how you came up with the game, how you produced it, yeah. and the fact that while we were talking, Kenny is packing more of them right now. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Um, yeah. So okay. Most people are maybe at least like sort of familiar with the game Mafia. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a youth group classic. You know, student pastors love that one. Um, and so we, you know, we played Mafia. But so the way Mafia works, for those of you who are not familiar, um, is it's this really interesting like group deduction game. And so it's kind of there's like bluffing involved. And really, you're, you're trying to figure out who the bad guys are through process of elimination. Uh, so that's kind of the basic premise. But it's really funny because there's a narrator and there's different rounds. So like, you know, night falls and, and the narrator tells everybody to go to sleep. They have to close their eyes. And then in the middle of the night, the narrator asks the bad guys to wake up. Traditionally, that would be the mafia. And then the narrator asks them, the members of the mafia who they want to kill that night. <laughs> and so they choose somebody to kill. And then the next morning, the narrator's like, hey, Billy got killed last night. He's out of the game. So that's kind of a basic premise. Um and there's another version of the game called Werewolf that kind of takes that premise and puts like, you know, werewolves and vampires, uh, kind of that kind of spin on it. Uh, and so we loved it. We played it with our students, with our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, our volunteers. It's a really funny game. It gets crazy, lots of yelling. It's very entertaining. But it can get a little boring, a little repetitive. Uh, and so one time when we were playing, we were like, hey, let's just try something new. So we asked the narrator, we're like, hey, when you tell the stories every night of what happened, uh, you know, during the night, use Bible stories. <laughs> and so the narrator is cranking out these like crazy stories about like floods and just like terrible, like Bible related disasters. It was very entertaining. And we're like, hey, this could possibly be a pretty funny like Bible game. And so we took that basic idea and we're like, how could this work as a game? And so what we came up with was um, the bad guys in this game are the Pharisees and the Pharisees <laughs> in this game, they just, they don't like the disciples. They don't like the disciples of Jesus. They want to stone the disciples. And so the, the uh, Pharisees are trying to stone the disciples at the same time that the disciples are trying to figure out who the Pharisees are and then excommunicate them from the community. So that is the basic ridiculous idea. And uh, there's a ton of cards in there representing like all these wild, like biblical characters. So some, you know, obvious ones like Noah or, um, you know, Joseph, some people that people would know. Uh, But then there's some maybe like lesser known characters too, uh, like Zechariah or Elisha. And they all have different powers in the game that have to do with what their actual story is in scripture. And so the funny thing is, I mean, it's meant to be funny, you know, share some laughs. But the cool thing is that when you play with your students, there's actually like some really cool opportunities to talk about who some of these Bible characters are and what their stories were. 
and, you know, kind of what their place is in the bigger picture of God's story. Um, so it's been really fun. Youth pastors have been a huge fan of it, um, not only because it's, you know, silly and it's a fun new take on a game that they already like, but because it's actually been like a fun conversation starter about, you know, what are Pharisees and why did they not like the disciples and what is going on? What is excommunication? So anyway, it's just, uh, it's been good. It's been a fun conversation starter so far. That's awesome. And you, this all came about just through like a game night at your house and, and then if I'm not mistaken, you guys, the first run of this game, you guys crowdfunded it, right? Yeah, we did. So we did a Kickstarter because uh, we weren't really sure. Like we knew we thought this was funny, but yeah. we just weren't sure if this was going to really connect. Um, so we crowdfunded it on Kickstarter and we were fully funded in three hours. Oh my gosh. And uh, I, th- <laughs> I think we we ended up being like 500% funded. So um, obviously Holy there cow. was uh, an interest. And I think uh, pre-orders, we probably had like 800 pre-orders or so. Um, so at this point, we just ordered our second batch of 1,000. And we're just, we're, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like flying out of our living rooms as fast as we can make it. So <laughs> that's so awesome. That's so, so awesome. Well, Hey, L, as we, as we wrap up the conversation here, um, I want to, I want to kind of end with this. Uh, do you think that small groups, uh, or this, the relational aspect that a lot of churches are moving towards or have gone to, is this just mm-hmm. the new thing? In the church world, is this just a fad that will pass, that something else will come along, um, or is this something that's here to stay? Yeah, um, I for sure think that this is something that's here to stay, because I think it's something that's always been here. Um, if you look at the way that Jesus discipled, it was relational. It was not based on a class. It was not based on a big show. It was based on him doing life with a group of people. Um, and so I think that this whole idea of us going back to small groups it's really us going back to the way it's kind of always supposed to have been. Um, and really this focused relationship um, of an adult um, discipling a few. And that's kind of what Jesus did for his disciples. Um, but I think it's also this great picture of uh, what Jesus described in the Great Commission. You know, for him, when when he left, it wasn't hey guys, I'm going to take care of all this. It was, hey, I'm empowering you guys to do this ministry. Mm. Um, And so I think that's what we get to do as church leaders is to continue that by um, mobilizing and empowering um, people in our church to to do the mission, to do the work of ministry um, instead of reserving it for the paid professionals. So I think it's here to stay because I think it's kind of always been the way that it's supposed to be. Amen. L, if if (laughs) folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah, I love Twitter. Twitter is my favorite place to hang out online. Uh, they can tweet at me at e, at E11L and then another E. It's a very annoying Twitter handle, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's memorable. So right. E11L and another E. Um, they can also find me on uh, my blog at lcampbell.org or uh, stuffyoucanuse.org. And those will kind of direct you to all of my other places online. So any of those would work great. Elle, I really appreciate you joining us on the show today. And folks, make sure you go get the book, Creating a Lead Small Culture. It is phenomenal and will help you out a ton. You can pick it up on Amazon, pretty much anywhere books are sold. And once again, Elle, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show today. It was an incredible conversation. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thanks for hanging, man. We'll have to get you on Youth Ministry Answers one of these times. I'd love to. Awesome. 
Folks, once again, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, man, what a phenomenal conversation with Elle. So, so pumped. Uh, hopefully you rewind that, listen to it again, apply the things. There was so much practical uh, information in there to apply to improve your small groups. Yeah, Jared, uh, a wise man once said, knowledge without application is meaningless. That wise man was Thomas Edison. He was. He did a few things. He did. So definitely, uh, I would just encourage you, any podcast you listen to, like apply the things you're learning because if you're just putting information in your head just to get the information, you got to apply it. It's, yep. it's meaningless uh, if you don't apply it. So definitely, definitely do that. And you might be uh, wanting to reach out to us, ask us a question or uh, maybe comment or talk about something you didn't like about a show. You can do that too. Yeah. But you can find us on social media at creative underscore sheep. That's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just reach, reach out to us. We'd love to connect with you. Yep. Always looking to get better. And folks, make sure you are subscribed and tune in uh, next two, two weeks from today at the release of this. Anyhow, every other Monday, we release a new episode. We're going to be talking with Johnny Hampton. Johnny is the owner of Hampton Creative, an ad agency in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, doing some work with some amazing brands all around the globe, uh, including Charles Stanley Ministries, SeaWorld, uh, 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 Quick Trip. Uh, he's doing a lot of great work and uh, built an amazing team. He's going to be talking about thinking like an owner. Uh, It's a phenomenal conversation. So make sure you are tuned to the Creative Sheep podcast. We'll see you next time. Adios.